passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com and the Radio.com app. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the status and the For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, hey, Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn the Skate Pod on WEEI. All right, welcome into episode 49, I believe, of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian D. Fleece, and I want to get the opening thoughts by my colleagues, Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. So, guys, uh, what are your initial takes after the last week of hockey? Well, the Bruins have bounced back nicely after that, that two, mini two game losing streak where you know, they had that one horrible game against Buffalo, and then they got shot out by Pittsburgh. And it's been a good week since then. They bounced back with a really good win over Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. And then two straight wins over the Sabres, which, you know, it's the Sabres. Uh, thankfully, the Bruins are finally done with them. We don't have to watch the Sabres anymore. But there were two there were two wins over the Sabres in which they dominated and gave the complete effort that you want to see in that matchup, whereas they – They've had games against the Sabres this year where they really haven't done that. They've kind of, you know, sort of played down to the competition or had an off night. So for them to, you know, to string together three straight really strong games here, I think certainly helps you feel like uh, those that two-game losing streak was just a blip on the radar and not something to be concerned about. Yeah, and I think something that was talked about a lot post-game after that last Sabres win on Saturday was that the guys are kind of realizing that this works and building confidence with their lines. So especially since we've all, we're only 11 days removed from the trade deadline, 11 uh, games removed from the trade deadline on April 13th, and the guys had, you know, at, at this point in the season when you kind of want to know whether or not those moves work and where, where their best, position is to put those guys into and I think the Bruins are lucky enough to have pretty much found already that the guys are working fine Hall's great on the second line probably you could probably even use better words than great uh with Crazy and Smith and I think Lazar is probably the only mainstay on the fourth line going into the playoffs I'm sure there'll be people moved around him but he seems to have found his role there 
And then Mike Riley, he's been versatile for them. He's been able to give them on the power play. He's been matched with a few different guys on defense, but he's, it seems like he's doing exactly what they want him to do back there. So this is a, th- these few wins have showed them that what we're trying is working, which hopefully gives them confidence um, heading into the playoff play. Yeah, I, I think um, the trade deadline acquisitions have been huge for them. It's turned into a completely different team. Um, you know, before the deadline, their ceiling wasn't really high. And as far as the postseason goes, I thought that they were probably the fourth best team in the division. And now I feel as though that they can compete with any of the top three teams as well um, as it currently sits. Uh, so the first and second line have been, you know, doing fantastic. But uh, since their brief two-game losing streak, you know, uh, Bruce Cassidy has been tinkering with the bottom six. And you know, I've come to the realization, guys, that there are ideal lines that you want. Like, you would want Coyle and DeBrusque on that third line with maybe Richie and maybe Corrali with Lazar and Wagner or Frederick. Like, those are ideal combinations. But what I'm starting to figure out now is you just have to go with what works. Uh, and, and, and things are always going to change depending on playoff matchups and injuries. So, you know what? You can have the perfect lines all you want, but things are always going to happen. And recently, the, the lines that Cassidy has gone with, um, you know, the fourth line, I got to admit, I didn't really see that one coming. Uh, Lazar centering DeBrusque and Kuhlman. And then the third line with Richie, Corrali, and Coyle, Coyle on the wing, Corrali at center, has paid dividends. And I, I like what I've seen out of those two lines for, uh, you know, for different reasons. I want to get your guys' take on, on those new combinations. Yeah. Can I go first? Sure. Go ahead. Um, so... Like you said, Brian, and I was talking to Scott before this, that DeBrus kind of forced their hand into making third line have to get changed up, try Corrali up there, try Coyle on the wing, because DeBrus wasn't doing what they wanted him to do there. So then you come and you try to factor him in on the fourth line, if you can factor him in at all. So then we end up Wagner needing a rest day. So Saturday, instead of Wagner, it's Kuhlman with Lazar and DeBrus and I, I like you, Brian. I like how they played. I think that it was good to have Kuhlman there instead of Wagner with the breath on that line because Kuhlman moves his feet. Um, not that Wagner is, doesn't, but he's just not fast. Um, and I think that that line made its identity more as a speed line than kind of like a grinder line. And I think that that worked into their favor. So with the breath, Lazar and Kuhlman on that line, it kind of has a little bit of a different feel. They're not trying to be another strength line. They're with that look, they're kind of more of a speed line. And I, I think Coleman did a really good job. He kind of got lost in the third period. Uh, in the first two periods, uh, he had six shots, which is more than anyone on the team. So uh, he was definitely trying to make the most of his time up. And I, I thought it worked. And I think we brought this up in a previous podcast where I was wondering, hey, where does, does Coleman factor into this? Um, and we hadn't seen him. It's been a long time. I, I have to check. But so now I can see a role for him. And it's been it's been 11 games, so 19 days since Coleman's played. But I do see that he could he could end up in the lineup. I'm not sure what they'll do with Wagner though in that case. Yeah, so I think both you guys have nailed it. And to Brian's point, like you're at a point in the season now where you can't just put together what you know. Okay, we hope this works, and you just wait and wait and wait and wait. Like they tried that. You know, we know they wanted to have. Richie Coyle DeBrusque as the third line, but it wasn't working. You're at a point in the season now where you got to change it up. And if you find something that looks like it's going to work, that's starting to work, you've got to stick with it, which is why next game I would go right back to the lines they had Saturday. Because Richie, Corrali, Coyle, 
yeah, it doesn't seem like your ideal third line, especially with Coyle moved over to the wing. Like, ideally, he's your third line center. Ideally, Corral is your fourth line center. But so, God, it's worked. It's like right, it's exactly. Both so, of those guys hadn't scored in so long, and then next thing you know, the monkey's off their back once you put Corrali up there on the third line center and and Coyle at his wing. It just all of a sudden it sparked. Sometimes you know you're like, oh, what can Cassidy do to spark the offense? And it's like we're going to plug here, plug there, plug it. But this one actually worked pretty quickly, so it kind of solved the problem at least short term uh, for getting those guys going because it's been a long time since they've been going, but because of their new positions with at least Coyle's new position on the wing, he was able to he was able to make that play uh, and get that goal. Yeah, all, all three of them have scored in the last two games. So you've got to keep going that. And, and Cassidy has talked about how, you know, at times on and off, really going back to the summer, they've been looking for, for a big third line. He's, that, like that's kind of the vision he's had in his mind. And if you remember, going into the bubble, they actually tried a line of, Richie on the left, Coyle at center, and Corrali on the right. And it didn't work at all. And they've tried different combinations of this big third line a couple times this season that they've gone to, and very mixed results. But right now, you know, so you make that switch of now Corrali's at center and Coyle's on the wing, and it's working for now, so keep going with it. And then to your point about the fourth line, yeah, DeBrusque doesn't strike you as a typical fourth liner. Uh, Kuhlman, we didn't know if he was going to have a role, but they had a really good game Saturday. Uh, I think, you know, they outshot when they were on the ice, the Bruins outshot the Sabres 11 to four. They had a lot of the puck. They were in the offensive zone. Uh, you know, they looked good on the rush. The breath ran the post. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I would go with that again too. And, you know, unfortunately for Wagner, like, yeah, he got banged up. You know, he didn't, he was playing, I think, okay before that. Um, but it's good to have competition and he had to miss a game and the guys who were in played well. Uh, you know, Frederick, Frederick's the other guy who's, who was out of the lineup Saturday, but he hadn't really, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't had much time back since, uh, he came back from being sick, but he didn't really blow me away either. I think he had a little bit of jump, you know, the one, that one game, but so, you know, DeBrusque back in gets his chance and, I think played well. I, I don't think he was the best player on that line by any means. So I, that's one place where I could still see a switch. And, you know, I, I think if we want to get into DeBrusque and what we think of him, like this time he gets sat down again as a healthy scratch. And this time it's for two games. And he comes back and plays well. But I, I feel like we're at a point now with DeBrusque where it's he doesn't have a guaranteed spot in the lineup and they're not planning around him anymore. They're not, you know, going out of their way to try to figure out how to get him going. Now it's either you get in and contribute or you don't. And if you don't, someone else probably is. So we'll sit you. Yeah. For like sure. I just think that's where they are with him now. It's he's he's one of these guys who if he's playing well, yeah, he'll stay in the lineup. If he's not, I don't think they're gonna hesitate to take him out. DeBrusque is at a you know, you can sit there and think to yourself, maybe he's tuning out the coach Maybe he just, you know, doesn't really respond well to this coaching staff. But then I, but then you could think to yourself, well, all right, but do you not respond well to Patrice Bergeron and Kevin Miller and Brad Marchand when, when your teammates pull you aside and kind of echo the coaching staff's words and, and advice? So I don't know. It, it, it might just be a situation where um, they may have to try to get some value for him in the offseason. Um, so 
but yeah, like he comes back into the lineup, and you know, I'll just I don't want to you know be too negative on him. Um, I I do think he he you know had improved effort. I think like I always talk about effort should be uh, guaranteed. So I don't really want to sing praises for somebody working hard, but um, you know, he he did improve his effort. I did like Coolman on that line. He uh, you know, he was moving his feet. He 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 brought the puck hard to the net. Um, and Lazar, you know, so that line to me, like we talked about, not traditional, but it, but speed kills. And I do think that if all three of those guys are playing their game, and if DeBrusque can kind of relish, um, you know, being in more of a fourth line role, uh, and can take that on, you know, I never envisioned him as a fourth liner. I don't think any of us did. But if he, um, you know, if he understands the role he has to play and plays it well. Um, then that line could be effective, and like I talked about, depending on the matchup, maybe you, you put a Frederick in, uh, Frederick in, who I I you know was hoping more from um, in his return to the lineup. Uh, maybe you put in a Wagner for a spark here and there if you're down in a series. Like if you're playing the Capitals or the Islanders, and it's going to be a big boy game, um, maybe you insert one of those guys. But if you're playing the Penguins. Then you know I kind of like the idea of of Kuhlman in there and DeBrusque and Lazar's line and like you guys mentioned that third line of Coyle, Richie, and Corrali they're they're a, they're a big line, right? So like you know if you need to match them up against other another team's fourth line for size purposes or what have it, um, you can do that. So there is fl- some flexibility. I, I do I do like the fact that Coyle has been able to. Um, you know, find his offensive confidence again. I do think that by alleviating him from some of his uh, responsibilities down low in the defensive zone as a centerman uh, allows him to jump into the rush more. And Corrali is um, certainly a reliable centerman as well. So I think having Richie and Coyle on his wings gives Corrali some more offense around him, as you saw last game. I just wanted to get through um, the tone that I picked up from Cassidy about DeBrus. You can just tell not not only from what he's saying, but how he's saying it, that he's the the role for DeBrusque is fourth line or not in the lineup at all. Uh, from what I was hearing uh, with Cassidy the past week, and just to read one thing, he seemed pretty frustrated with him, and he said uh, Jake's been out on a lot of lines. He's been giving he's been given an opportunity with almost every center iceman. I've said it before. To me, it's the second effort league, and if he's willing to do that, he'll have success in this league. But then he also said this week, we just want him to be grateful for his spot in the lineup. Just help us win, Jake. Get out there and play our, to your strengths, and we'll coach you up on the things that you need to get better on. Just be one of the wins. So to me, the thing that stands out there is just that he needs to be grateful for the spot, like not take it for granted anymore. Basically, he's they're not – they're not plugging them in. They they could they could take them or leave them is kind of what it sounded like Cassidy was saying. And hopefully that motivates him a little bit because he I mean, Brian, he's gotta be concerned that oh, yeah. now that he's moved, you know, from all lines, nothing's working. They can't find anywhere that makes them work. Now it's kinda like, okay, it wasn't the chemistry, it wasn't it maybe it's Jake. So You'll like this. I was um I was at the station yesterday, um for uh for the Bruins game, because I had to produce the Sox afterwards, and I was watching the game with um with with Nick Nick Lapan, and shout out Nick, one of our uh, fellow producers colleagues. Um, I think I shouted him out on another show before. Did you? Good. Well, he's getting. Yeah. <laughs> but he and I can't watch the Bruins together. We'll kill each other. Yeah. So he doesn't. He thinks crazy sucks, and I and I totally disagree. So, <laughs> so uh, so we're watching the game, and um, 
and uh, there was a play behind the net where where DeBrusque there was like a it was kind of a loose puck and uh, behind the net and the opposing defenseman I forget who it was for Buffalo uh, probably something Antonin all those all those Finnish guys who knows um, and and DeBrusque thought the guy was gonna make contact with them so we kind of so DeBrusque kind of backed off and just gave up on the play. And it's like, you know, Jake, not for nothing, bud, but you were out of the lineup. You were healthy scratch two games in a row for reasons like this. And, you know, I preface it by saying his effort was better. He did hit the crossbar. He did go to the blue paint a few times. Probably have to go to Home Depot afterwards for some more blue paint. Um, But, you know, then there's plays like that where it's just like, dude, you can't make, you can't just let up there. You can't just give up on a play because you never see uh, your teammates do that. And if they do, then they'll be out of the lineup too. So I do think it is more on more on Jake. Yeah, and it, I also find it interesting uh, after the game when Cassie was asked about the fourth line and how, you know the fact that they played well was pretty good, and he was asked about DeBrus specifically, like you know, do you think that'll get DeBrus going, kind of playing this straight line game? And he's basically like, well, yeah, like that's what we've been asking him to do. And then Cassie quickly pivoted to to Coolman and like praised him and. My, I sort of interpreted that as like Cassidy wanted to sort of make it clear without directly saying it that he thought Kuhlman really did what he needed to do and that there was maybe still something missing a little bit from DeBrusque's game. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to watch going forward. Uh, I think, like we said, like DeBrusque, even after a, you know, a, a solid game, solid enough game, his spot's not guaranteed. Uh, I, I think he'll be back in there Monday night. We'll see. But, um, but yeah, he's going to have to prove it every night. He's not, he's not going to get the benefit of, oh, you have one-off game. You know, we'll keep going back to you. Like, Wagner's going to be pushing to get back in the lineup. Frederick's pushing. They have options. They're not relying on him. He's not in a big role. So, either either he takes the job and runs with it and, earns a spot on a nightly basis, or he doesn't. He hasn't done it this season, so it's it's entirely up to him at this point. Yeah. Uh, Bridget, do you have any closing thoughts on that before we move on to the defense? No, I think, yeah, we, let's move on to, to the defense. Okay, so, yeah, so um, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. I believe uh, Brandon Carlo is set to return to the lineup next game against New Jersey, if not, then the game after. Um, so that kind of begs yeah. the question, um, you know, what will – what pairings will Bruce Cassidy like to start with? Um, what would you guys like to see him maybe? And again, it's all trial and error, so we'll see how they work out. I, you know, um, Grizzlick and McAvoy have been together a lot in the top pair, but it seems to me, um, and, and you guys as well, that, that Cassidy is um, really opening up to the idea of having one puck mover per, per pairing. Um, so let's just you know dive into that a little bit. Uh, what do you guys expect to see, and what would you like to see? Yeah, I think I think you nailed it with the one puck mover. Cassidy had hinted at that. And I think we're already seeing that Saturday. Uh, it was Lozon and McAvoy together, and Grizzly goes with Miller, and then it was Riley Clifton. So I, I think right there you've got your preview of, of how Cassidy envisions it, where Carlo's going to go in for Clifton. It's going to be Riley and Carlo, and then he's going to he's going to give it a shot with the Lozon McAvoy pairing again, and Grizzly Miller because he wants. He wants that balance of, of one puck mover on each pairing. Um, and, you know, and then he can always go to Grizzlick McAvoy if he needs to in a game, if it looks like that's going to be the better option. Uh, you know, personally, I I think Grizzlick McAvoy has been so dominant together that 
I don't think I would split it up, but saying that, a, a third pairing of, of Lozon Miller, uh, they haven't been good when they've been together. They, the two of them together have struggled, and we know why. Like they're, they're not very mobile. They struggle to get going in transition when they're together. So I get why he's doing it, and it may very well be the best option. But there's also there's no question that Lozon McAvoy as a top pairing is not as good as Grizzly McAvoy. But the reason why Cassidy is splitting up Grizzly and McAvoy is not they're not doing well together. It's to cover up the blemishes yeah. on the other line. So to make up for some of the shortcomings of some of the other guys, Lozon, this is his first season. He has kind of needed McAvoy on his side to to get the best performance out of him. So I I like that decision to put McAvoy and Lozon back together. Um, think about it. There's been t- there's been nights where Lozon mistakes are so glaringly obvious, and then once but when he's in McAvoy, you don't see those happening. Uh, he plays better. He plays up to McAvoy a little bit more, and I think it's safer. It's, it's a much safer bet. Obviously, if you want to go with the firepower, throws like McAvoy, that's scary. But then you you leave you know other times when you're on the ice with guys who uh, aren't gonna it's just going to leave other matchups that are more easy to expose later on uh, in the defensive pair. So I like, I like the defense pairs that he came out with last game with McAvoy uh, and Lozon together uh, rather. And then with Grizzly and Miller and Riley and uh, probably will be Carlo when he comes back. So, so uh, I agree um, with everything you guys said. And, you know, I think uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think, uh, Grizzlick and Miller have played together in the past. There should be some familiarity there. Um, what's interesting is is the Carlo. Yeah, they they played together on a third pairing when when Grizzlick first came up. Yeah, I thought that sounded familiar. Um, an interesting pairing for me because we have seen McAvoy and Lozon and Bridget. Uh, you're bang on when you say that Lozon. Um, you know, plays up to you know he plays up when he's when he's with Charlie. He uh you know, elevates his game because he has to. Um, you know, we've talked in the past about how maybe he's not ready for, for that top pairing minutes, but um, as Scott, you know, mentioned, he and Kevin Miller hadn't really been clicking like I had hoped they would as a third pairing. Um, the Carlo-Riley pairing to me is very interesting because uh, they're going to play together for the first time and, and we're talking, you know, a handful of games before playoffs. But one thing I do like about that pairing is uh, is their reach their ability to cover ice. They're both tall, lengthy kids. Carlo, obviously, more so. Um, but, they, you know, they can both skate. Um, Riley's obviously more of the puck mover. But they both are, you know, rangy and, and lengthy and, and have long sticks. And so I really like their ability to uh, disrupt plays at the um, at the Bruins' blue line. Um, and then as, as far as Lozon and McAvoy go, um, you know, I think that you could, if you're Bruce Cassidy, you can always, uh, you know, put Grizzly with McAvoy situationally or somebody with McAvoy situationally if you need to do it, um, you know, in a, in a big moment of the game where you, you need a goal, maybe put them together, uh, McAvoy and Grizzly. Maybe you maybe you really need to to keep the puck out of your net for a shift and Lozon's not playing well. Maybe, you know, you throw, a, you know, like a, a, a Carlo and a McAvoy together for a shift. Who knows? Like, you, you can work around it. Um Things always change in the, in, the, in the course of a game. So I, I too, like uh, the idea of those pairings. Um, yeah, so it should, it should be fun to see. And I think that the Bruins are a pretty, pretty well-rounded team. Um, 
So Bridget, you are you're kind of um, up against it for timing because I'm uh, because I'm an idiot and I uh, I had a schedule for noon today and of all people I was the one that ended up having to be a few minutes behind. So you have about ten minutes or so left. I wanted to uh, make sure we get to anything you wanted to get to before uh, you have to take off. Okay. Um. So I guess, but I, I guess what I was gonna head into next was on the same vein with the defense um, and ask you guys the question because it's been rotated. Uh, so Grizzlick, obviously most of the year, first line, uh, power play unit, quarterback. Then they come up, they pick up Riley. Riley has some success there. Now we've seen him kind of go back and forth. Uh, I guess I'll start with you, Brian. Do you think Riley finds his way? Um, onto the power play, or do you think it's just going to be Grizzlick on one unit, McAvoy on the other unit? So um, Scott probably knows my thoughts from editing the uh, the the blog yesterday. Um, one of one of the things I mentioned was how the top unit's still struggling, and you know there's two there's two schools of thought. Number one, if you're Bruce Cassidy and you're and you're sitting there saying, look, we have two, we have enough talent for two really good top units or really good power play units, and I want to allocate, you know, a minute or so to each unit on a power play, uh, assuming you don't score. I understand, you know, the idea of spreading people out. Um, however, I, I'm of the mind, like, your top unit needs to have your best players. And I understand that, you know, everybody and their mother wants Grizzly to be that quarterback because of, um, you know, similarities to Tory Krug. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but... The fact of the matter is Charlie McAvoy is your best offensive defenseman. I mean, the points will tell you that. And he's been doing so without, uh, you know, premier top unit minutes on the PP. So I I, I know I've been singing it all year long, but I'm going to keep doing it until it's, it, just something's done about it. I think that adding McAvoy and Taylor Hall to that top unit, first of all, it should, in theory, solve a massive issue at the top unit, which is zone entries. Um, we know how, how well of a, a skater McAvoy is, and we know how, how great his own entry is Taylor Hall is. To me, that's massive. Um, add them onto the power play. I think that McAvoy should be there, uh, not Riley. Um, I, I think Riley and Grizzlick would be great in the second unit together, and then you know when somebody's coming out of the box, there you go. Um, so th- th- those, are my, those are my two cents. Can I, I don't play know what devil's you guys advocate think. a little bit? Please do, yeah. Can I play devil's advocate to that a little bit? Um, so I agree with you that the first line power play is missing uh, somebody who's going to be able to do the zone entries better um, and set that, that up in the zone. But I also think that the reason why McAvoy's on the second unit and the reason why they're not pulling Hall off the second unit or Crazy or anyone off the second unit is because I think he actually sees that unit as probably the more, maybe even the more dangerous unit right now because last game he came out, first power play, you see the traditional first, first power play unit with Grizzlick, Marshawn, Pasta, Bergeron, and Richie. But then they have success with the second unit when they came on. So then the next power play, they start with the so-called second unit of McAvoy, uh, Hoyle, Hall, Krejci, um, and Smith. So they come out with that line, and that line's been so, so dominant in the past few games that I could see why they keep the, the five of them together as a unit, but maybe – they are the ones starting. So here's a fun thing I was going to say, uh, a little trivia to lead into a point I'm going to make. Who who do you think has been on the ice for the most power play goals on a Bruins this season? David Krejci. Uh, Correct. 
that was what so, I guess to me, I'm kind of I'm kind of feeling like whatever unit David Krejci is on, I'm giving at least half the power play to. So, yeah, if right now if that's the quote unquote second unit, then see it. Like I agree with Britt. Like they've looked more effective the last couple games. So now you're left with to Brian's point, like that dilemma of. Okay, so are you splitting the power play and saying we basically have two number one units that we're going to roll out there and they're going to get almost even time and we're not going to worry about, you know, whichever one's fresher is the one that starts the power play, essentially. You can do that or you load up on one unit. But, you know, the problem with that is how do you load up? Like, is is it moving? Not splitting them up. The best thing they can do is not split that unit up. So loading them, no, just leave them alone. Leave that that second unit as constituted alone. Yeah, because I was saying last week, you know, I wanted Hall ahead of Richie on the top unit. I wanted to make that switch. But then you see this last week play out where there isn't as clear of a one and two, and it's more of a, you know, two one A's basically. And it's like, okay, well, now I kind of see what Cass is going for. And I don't know if that's, you know, I don't know if you want to roll through the whole playoffs like that where it's splitting time and you don't have like a clear number one unit we've seen the Bruins in the past have a lot of success with one lethal top unit that plays like a minute and a half on the power play but so say say Scott they've already solved the top power play unit some teams have already figured out the formula that goes with Pasternak, Bergeron, Marshawn and Richie out front they know what they're looking to do so with the second unit I feel like they haven't figured that unit out as much yet so yeah give them time Make someone figure it out before you change it up. Because so far, I think it's been so successful. You you roll it until it doesn't work anymore. But so far, no one's been able to really figure out how to defend it. But that's probably mostly because Crazy just can find anyone. Well, anywhere. but it, I would say. And also McAvoy. McAvoy, he has that nice little drift play where they, they find him crashing the net sometimes. He, like Brian and I were talking about, uh, not on the podcast, McAvoy is perfectly fine not quarterbacking the power play and letting crazy do it and just drifting and moving. He constantly moves throughout the zone uh, when he's on that unit. So I, there's so many reasons for me to just leave that second power play. In the yeah. Team. I mean, they're, they're the ones who have scored the last two goals. There was uh, you know, two, two games ago, it was crazy from McAvoy and Smith. And then Saturday it was Smith from crazy and Hall. So I guess the question, Scott is like in, in Bridget, like this is all well and good, right? Um, but this is all assuming that the first unit, get, you know, figures it out. Because, like, you know, if, if they, if they, you can't have, you can't have Pashnak and Bergeron and Marshan struggling in the playoffs in the power play unit. You just can't have it. Like, you're gonna need these guys to score. And so, you know, this, the whole, you know, put McAvoy and Hall into the top unit for me, really becomes um, pressing if you know we're in the playoffs with the current units as they are and not top units still not scoring, which is fine because the second unit can score. But, you know, how long will that last before teams figure them out? So I, I personally think that by, like, putting Grizzlick and, and Riley or something like that on the second unit, I don't know if you really, um, you know, mess with that mojo all too much. I think Krejci's the key on that unit. Um, so I don't know. It's it's just something to think about. Um, they're, the top unit's been struggling so much to score goals. I just know how important that they're going to become playoffs. And if they're not scoring on the power play in the playoffs – um, you know, their, their confidence might go down, even strength. They might start to, you know, uh, you know, fight the puck too much. And you don't want that. You want them feeling good, which they look good five on five. Um, but like I said, the other thing too, that I wrote about was 
Um, perhaps they just wait it out like you guys have been kind of been talking about and, and see if the current top unit can figure it out. Um, I just really, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, go on too long and, and take up time, but it, it's, it, it's interesting to see how it plays out. I really just have a hard time watching the top unit struggle so much, but seeing Hall and, and, and McAvoy in the second unit, and I know how much they could help out, and I get that the second unit's doing well. But, like, if they're going to be the second unit, then they might not always get that much time on a power play. It, it's really depending on if Cassidy one, evens out the time. One final thought. One final thought for me on this, and then I'm going to have to leave. Um, Ooh. What you're saying what you're saying is that they're going to have to try to fix the top unit, but that's, it's kind of like the DeBrusque conversation we had a little bit. Like, we're trying to do things to fix them when really the only people that can fix them is them. They're the, probably they're the best players on the team. They're some of the best players in the league. If they can't figure out how to beat other teams on the power play, nothing's going to help that. I'm, they ha- they need a puck carrying defenseman up there. Honestly, it shouldn't matter whether or not it's for like a Riley or McAvoy. Those guys need to figure it out. I don't think there's much you can add into that top power play unit right now. And with the risk of ruining the chemistry and the production that's happened on the second unit, you gotta just you gotta just let them figure it out because that I don't know if there's really much you can do. Uh, they're already you know the top top players in the league. They should be able to figure it out. Um, and I, I wouldn't want to touch the second unit to try to to try to get them going. They'll 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 get going. They just need to. I, I don't know what they need to do. They just need to figure it out on their own. And and it will they will break through. Uh, but I don't I don't see that they need to move Paul. To the, to the top line, yeah, and maybe maybe Hall on the top line would mess with their chemistry and, and, and give them too many options, and they'd start overthinking even more. So it's a good point, Bridget. All right, I gotta hit the road, guys. But thanks for having me. You guys can keep talking if you want. All right, All right. see you, Bridget. Thanks, Bridget. Bye, Scott. Don't trash talk it now that she's gone. What are you doing? <laughs> um, no, that's a good. She look. She 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 brings up a good point. Um. <laughs> She's right. Like these guys are all world athletes, uh, and and furthermore, they're they're some of the best, uh, you know, players in the world at hockey. And if they can't fucking oh, <laughs> I'll just take that for out. It's a podcast, yeah. If they have to, uh, yeah. If they need, if they need McAvoy as opposed to Grizzlick or Riley to, to get themselves going, you know, that is on them a little bit. Um, so I don't know. I mean, yeah, she, she makes up a good point. Yeah, I think, and as far as like it affecting their confidence. If we're talking about the key guys there, I feel like Marshawn and Bergeron are professional enough and good enough to, to where that's not a concern. Like, they're going to bring it no matter what. Like, I, I don't think they let their play on one unit affect their play on any other unit. Like, in the past, even if they've struggled a little bit 5-on-5, five five, which doesn't happen often, they still kill penalties really well. Like, they, they're still good in the power play. So, not worried about them. Pasternak, maybe a little... I think he's the player who I think relies more on on scoring goals to kind of get his confidence going and, you know, doesn't have that all-around game that Bergeron and Marshawn have where they're just going to keep doing their thing no matter what's happening in terms of goals. Um, so there could be some concern there. But, you know, like we said, we, they've been playing good 5-on-5. Five five. Maybe this would even be something that would get them more 5-on-5 five five shifts if, if they're not relying on them as much on the power play. Um, so, you know, I just think along the lines of what we're talking about with DeBrusque, it's at this point in the year, you can't really have a ton of patience in terms of just like 
waiting, 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 you know, hoping for things to turn a corner. Can just have to go with what's working. And those guys are going to have to take it upon themselves. And, you know, hey, look, maybe, it's, maybe it'll be good for them. Maybe they'll, uh, you know, be fired up by some competition if they start to see the quote-unquote second unit getting equal time or maybe even more time on the power play. Maybe they'll be like, whoa, uh, you know, hey, that's usually us. Uh, let's, you know, let's kick it up a notch. Um, so I guess you, that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, uh, you look, you're right about uh, pasta. It's That's kind of what happens when you're, you know, he, a would-be 50-goal scorer if it was a full season last year. You know, you if you're not scoring uh, at that same rate, you know, maybe the confidence isn't there. And But going into the year, the, the, his offensive numbers weren't, weren't going to be uh, at the very top of the league because he was going to miss two and a half weeks plus. Um, so, yeah, he just needs to, you know, simplify his game. And I think that... Um, you know, a key on the power play in at five on five is just a shot mentality. And, you know, especially in the power play, you start shooting early. Uh, the penalty kills get out of the box. They're, they're scrambling. You have good puck pursuit. And then those passing lanes naturally open up and you're no longer forcing them. Um, and I think I saw that against Buffalo. There was like one shift where it looked like pasta, you know, rifled off like five slap shots in a row at the top of the circle. Um, so I think, I think he's, you know, focusing on shooting a little bit more. Um, and yeah, I, I think they'll be fine. It's a good problem to have, right? Um, I mean, overall, the power play has been struggling. It's been like, you know, they're like one or two for their last 20-plus attempts. But uh, the offense is starting to come around. It kind of reminds me uh, of a parallel on a team as well with the goaltending situation. You have Rask, you have Swayman. Both are playing great. Um, Obviously, like the top unit, you would like Rask to be that guy because, you know, he's been there and done it. Um, But now you have this, uh, this, this young goaltender, Swayman, i.e. the second power play unit that's kind of forced no way in there. Um, so, like, the Bruins have depth uh, that they didn't have a month ago prior to the deadline. Um, and they and I remember, like, Scott, like, four episodes ago, we were talking about, I think I asked you and Bridget if you guys had seen Jeremy Swayman before because it was when they brought up uh, Vladder. And you guys were like, ah, I don't know if we've seen him, but he's, you know, supposed to be the next guy. And here we are a month later, and he he, he, he looks to be that. Um so, did we want to get in a a question or two from the uh, from the listeners before um, before we take off? Was there one question about Stanika or something? Yeah. Um, so, I think you know we've touched on a lot of stuff, but one uh, one question we got in that is unrelated to anything we've discussed is is about Jack Stanika. Uh, you know, which is is a good topic to bring up because we've seen all this shuffling around on the third and fourth lines. And he's still been down in Providence. So at least to the question of, like, where is Studnika? Is he in the picture at all? What happened? Um, you know, what does the future hold? Where where does he eventually fit? So I, I guess it's worth reviewing just uh, when Studnika got sent down to Providence earlier this season, he then unfortunately suffered an injury that kept him out for, I think, a few weeks. And he's been back now for the last few weeks, almost a month now. But he hasn't really been producing in, in Providence. He has played nine games down there. He has four assists. He hasn't scored a goal. And unfortunately, it kind of seems like this turned into a bit of a lost season for Jack Stamiga, uh, which is really disappointing when you consider where it started, where he's pushing for, for a regular role right off the bat to start the season. You know, he's playing, he's playing on the second line. At times, he got uh, some time as the fourth-line center. And it seemed like he was really pushing for, for regular playing time. And then unfortunately, like around the mid season point, he's basically just hit one setback after another. 
And I can't see him having a role at the NHL level this season at this point. You know, unless it was something like last year where you ended up down so many forwards due to injuries in the playoffs and maybe he finishes the season strong in Providence, but it seems like he's pretty far down the depth chart now and they're going to have to, they just have to get his game back at the AHL level playing there. And then I think just regroup this off season, uh, you know, get him on a plan. I think he's going to have to bulk up. That's been the, the one problem he's had when he's been up uh, with Boston is he, he gets bumped off pucks too easily. He's a smaller guy. And you can be look, you can be smaller and be strong in the puck. You see it with Brad Marchand. So Stanika's gonna have to learn from that. Some of it will be physical strength, some of it will just be learning how to shield himself from defenders, use leverage, spin off guys. So he'll have to get better at that. But I think you know, really there's just gonna be a regrouping that's gonna happen this offseason with Stanika and hope that a fresh start going into next year uh will will be better for him. Yeah, I agree. I think going into the season, um you know, the Bruins brass kind of were hoping to do something along the lines of what they did with Tyler Sagan um, back in, like, 2018. Uh, yeah, 2018. Uh, 2011, um, when he was 18, um, where he's a natural centerman, but they, we're going to kind of groom him um, on the wing, get him some NHL reps. Um, not that Stanika is the prospect that Sagan was at second overall, certainly not. But that, that concept of, you know, we don't think you're ready two-way yet to, to play your natural position, but we think you're ready to be in the NHL and start getting, gaining those reps. And, um, you know, he, he got off to a decent start. Like, he, he showed some flashes in the bubble last year. Early this year, he, he looked decent at times. I think, actually, he was the one to break the Bruins' um, even-strength goal slump to start the season. That was, like, nine periods or something like that, or six periods. Um and then, uh, you know, Lake Tahoe, he had a great, you know, smooth, creative assist to Pasta for his hat-trick goal. So he's shown flashes. Um, but, like you said, some things have snowballed, and he's kind of found himself out of the mix a little bit here. And he's certainly not going to find himself in the mix as a center right now uh, with Bergeron and Krejci and Coyle slash Corrali and Lazar. Um, so, you know, the, the hope going into it was like, you know, groom him as a wing. And then maybe Krejci's gone next year. He slides up and starts to play some more center. <laughs> but if if if, if Krejci and Taylor Hall are, are the new uh, Gretzky and, <laughs> and Messier, like who knows what's, what they're going to do in the offseason with them? So the jury's still out on Stanika. He's 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 young still. Um, you know, personally, I don't know if he's going to be a dynamic uh, number. I don't think he's going to be a number one center. I don't even know if he's going to be a number two center. Um, We'll see. He definitely has some skill. But usually when you see a prospect that really has something, um, some next-level stuff, it kind of jumps off the page, especially you know when they get their, their first few looks in the league. Even if it's not consistent, you'll see flashes. And um, you know I'm not sure if Stanik is that guy. He might be, you know, along with um, John Beecher uh, you know, and Stanik. Those are some of their blue-chip center prospects. Um, you know, pa- uh, post-Bergeron and Krejci which is an era I don't want to think about, and it's an era I don't think they're ready for, Scott. Um, and it's something that they're going to have to address going forward in future drafts, which they now can because they didn't have to give up a first-rounder to improve their team this year. And that's that was one of the biggest things about this trade deadline is that they made their team better now as we're seeing. They're a much different team. Everybody's falling into place. Um, and, and, and they didn't really mortgage their future, so... 
So that's why, you know, for all the crap that Don Sweeney gets from others, you know, and myself sometimes with drafting and developing specifically um, and some, you know, bad free agent moves, uh, he did okay this year at the deadline. But he really needs to to step up in the in, in the future when it comes to replacing Bergerons and Krejci's and filling that pipeline with not not potential NHLers, Scott, like bona fide going to be impact NHLers, and it's going to be challenging when you're not one of the worst teams getting one of the top picks. So it's a conversation for another day. Um, you know, kind of just jumped ahead there, but it just kind of came to mind when um, you know, somebody asks about Stanika, is um you know, Sweeney's drafting and developing ability. And that's kind of, Sonika's the working project, so we'll see. Um, so that's what I would say about Sonika. Jerry's out. Tough luck for him this year. Um, he'll, he'll, he'll get his chance, though, at some point, um, unless they, you know, trade him for something, which I don't think they'll do. Um, I think that's probably it, Scott, right? We don't want to ramble too long without Bridget. And, um, you know, we have a lot to, I don't want to, you know, spoil anything Um for, for next week, the week after, because it's going to get good. We have the playoffs coming up, so we'll be talking about playoff matchups and uh, potential matchups, who who you'd rather face, you know, who's a harder matchup. Um, and there's so much to shake out. The top three teams in the East Division have clinched. The Bruins will be shortly thereafter them, and then they're all right next to each other. So it's all going to shake out the, the points and stuff like that. Um, and we'll dive into all that going forward. Um, I mean, did you have a closing thought? Scott on uh like the second line or the first line or did you want to save it for a rainy day it's up to you no I think uh, I think we covered pretty much everything I'm good okay great and then so uh Scott was so kind to set up a uh an email for for the skate pod should we plug that Scott in case anybody needs to reach out to the show for any reason or another yeah definitely any any feedback questions anything uh skate pod at wei.com uh, so you can send send anything there, and uh, we'll take a look. And you know, if you have questions, then obviously we'd love to get to them on the podcast. So uh, yeah, you can send them there, or send them to us on Twitter at the Skate Pod. Uh, we check both. So yeah, awesome. Well, thanks guys for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.